0: In the early spring, I began working on a documentary series called Identity Crisis. You have a little pamphlet on your chairs where you have a QR code where you can watch it. The series tells the story of four mothers whose daughters fell victim to gender ideology, two detransitioners who now warn, warn of the harms this movement is causing, and one mental health professional who rails against her profession for prioritizing political correctness over public health. You might be able to guess which health professional I picked. (laughs) The number of trans-identifying youth has nearly doubled in recent years, which has left politicians, educators, and medical professionals at odds over what policies are best suited to protect the health and well-being of children. My fellow panelists will be able to speak to those solutions after me. Well, I hope to shed light on the multiple layers of personal devastation that families have faced. Just last week, we published the latest story in the series featuring a mother from California who says gender ideology drove her autistic, gender-confused daughter into a catastrophic mental breakdown. Her daughter had ADD, anxiety, and an eating disorder, but all the therapist was interested in treating was her gender confusion. She did that by quote unquote affirming. Her story explores a massive aspect of the transgender movement that politicians, medical professionals, media and activists all don't want to acknowledge let alone explore the connection between autism and transgenderism. The first story in the series involved a mother named Jeanette Cooper who's from Chicago. Jeanette lost custody of her 12 year old daughter for insisting that her daughter is a girl. She previously had custody of her daughter seven nights, six days a week. But after a regular custodial visit to her father's house, Jeanette's daughter decided she was trans and she felt unsafe around her mom, who simply insisted that her daughter was a girl. In the last three years, Jeanette has seen her daughter for a total of eight and a half hours. She lives ten minutes down the street. It's been so long that she's seen her daughter that Jeanette doesn't even know how tall she is. She's only allowed to communicate with her daughter by postal mail. As Jeanette told me, people who are in prison have more communication with their children than I do. The next story featured Jennifer, a mother from a Seattle suburb who in 2019 received an email from her daughter's fifth grade teacher. The teacher, a male, was using a different name for her then 10-year-old daughter. Jennifer thought it was a mistake. The teacher must have accidentally emailed the wrong parent. But Jennifer later found out that for two and a half months, her daughter was meeting with a school therapist once a week who was treating her as a boy using male pronouns and a made-up male name. In February 2020, right before COVID hit, That therapist emailed Jennifer to schedule a meeting where the therapist would assist her daughter to officially come out to her and her husband as a boy. They needed to do this because the teachers wanted to help her daughter obtain parental permission to allow her daughter to stay overnight in the boys' cabin for an upcoming school field trip. It was for three nights. At this point, Jennifer's daughter was 11 years old so the school was required to obtain permission to house her with the boys. Had she been 13, Jennifer wouldn't have even had the right to know about this arrangement because she lives in Washington State where children as young as 13 years old can access their own medical and mental health services without parental knowledge or consent. Parents in these cases are then billed by insurance companies with no explanation of benefits meaning they're stuck with the tab but have no ability to know what services or treatments their daughter received. California is, of course, trying to take it one step further, creating a sanctuary state where children can go to California to get these medical transitions behind their parents' backs. Another story that I featured was a mo- about a mom named Susie. Susie lives in Alaska, And she came face to face with the growing phenomena of adolescent girls identifying as the opposite sex due to a social desire to appear transgender. Critics call this social contagion theory unfounded and absurd. But after returning in 2020 to the US from a four year assignment abroad, Susie's family settled into a house on a street where two out of the eight girls on the block identified as boys. At the local high school where her daughter would soon attend, at least another 10 girls identified as the opposite sex. Shortly after moving there, Susie's oldest daughter, who had just turned 15, also said, she feels like a boy. The left considers this a complete coincidence. Susie told the school counselor that her daughter was struggling with her mental health issues, including gender confusion and she thought the school was on the same page with how she and her husband wanted to handle it. But in the fall of 2021, at the start of the next school year, Susie found her daughter's student ID, which featured this new made up name. The fact that the school was actually transitioning her daughter behind her back came as a surprise to Susie, since the school was still communicating to her using female pronouns and her daughter's real name. To avoid upsetting her daughter, Susie initially waited to confront the school. But that winter, she decided to email the counselor asking how her daughter's name would appear in the yearbook. School officials proceeded to tell her that she has no say over anything her daughter wants to go by or what's in her record. When she followed up to ask why, school officials told her Title IX. Every one of these mother's stories are different. They're all uniquely horrifying. But all of them have a common theme, a very deep sense of of betrayal. These parents, most of them lifelong Democrats, feel betrayed by politicians who they spent a lifetime supporting. Politicians who've chosen to affirm a toxic ideology that exploits vulnerable children, most of them struggling with serious mental health issues. These parents are sickened and betrayed by public schools educators and administrators who are changing their children's names and pronouns in secret behind their backs. They're sickened and betrayed by a legal system that was designed to protect children, but is using gender ideology as a weapon to sever the most fundamental bond in life, the bond between a mother and her child. They're sickened and betrayed by health professionals who took an oath to protect patients from harm and injustice, yet perpetuate just that. They're sickened and betrayed by a media echo chamber convincing the public that lying to children about their gender is the kind and compassionate thing to do. They're sickened and betrayed by seemingly every adult in the room with an ounce of authority, from supposed support groups to the President of the United States sending the message, we know better than you what's best for your child. As if anyone in the world could know and love a child more than that child's own parents all these stories have been personally devastating to report on it might have just been my postpartum hormones that was getting in the way but i cried quite a bit working on them i started working on this project right when i returned from maternity leave with my second child to be honest i was not ready to go back to work even with the privilege of being able to work from home I was tempted to throw in the towel and take what I call early retirement, which is probably politically incorrect to say these days, but I believe God purposely put this project in my lap, giving me the opportunity to give these mothers a voice. With my little two-year-old daughter knocking at my office door and a four-month-old in tow, I spent hours on, these, on the phone with these mothers wondering, how did we let this go so far? I believe what we're talking about today is a generation of young girls being manipulated and mutilated in a way not much different from female genital mutilation. This is ironic because my inspiration for entering this field of work in college was learning about exactly that. But these abuses were always taking place in some far off country. Never did I imagine reporting on them here at home. As part of this series, I also chose to tell the stories of two young women who went down the path of a medical transition only to regret it a few years later. One of them, whose name is Daisy, went so far as to chop off her healthy breasts only to realize shortly after that objectively, there's no way she could actually be a boy. Just a few weeks ago after detransitioning, of course, Daisy gave birth to a beautiful, healthy baby boy. The fear of not being able to conceive a child due to the medical manipulation she was doing to her own body was what ultimately drove her to give it all up. Daisy told me, If you had have told me two years ago that in 2022 you would be married and pregnant, I wouldn't believe you. My parents told me that I would change a lot, but I just could not conceptualize it. Daisy's happily married now, a woman and a new mom, but she'll never be able to breastfeed, she still grows facial hair, and her voice kind of sounds like a man. She doesn't know in what other ways the testosterone may have damaged her body, but she knows she'll do everything in her power to stop her own child from going down this path. Another detransitioner named Kat, who I interviewed, told me this. My parents didn't affirm me, and at the time it did make me very angry. But looking back, I'm very thankful for that. I think that if I would have been able to transition as a child and gone on to puberty blockers, gone on to cross-sex hormones at a young age and cut off body parts, I think I would be looking back and I would be thinking, how could you enable this? How could you have gone along with this when I was too young to consent? I do think that in the future, we're going to see a lot of children who have detransitioned being very angry with their parents and feeling betrayed by them. And here is where we come full circle. Not only are parents being betrayed, but children are too. Thousands of parents are suffering at the hands of the gender ideology movement. But it's their children who are the greatest victims in it. As the mom of a young girl. I can sleep at night knowing I'm on the right side of this fight, despite the pretty mean attacks we often face. But what makes it hard to sleep is knowing how, knowing that as a movement, conservatives were too late. We have already failed thousands of vulnerable young girls. Grade school children have already started cross-sex hormones, and high school girls have sterilized themselves. Healthy girls have cut off their breasts, or worse, cut off their own skin from their arm or the inside of their thigh to make a fake penis. Families have been ripped apart. Doctors, teachers, media, and politicians have drank the Kool-Aid and normalized young, healthy children mutilating themselves under the guise of tolerance and compassion. It is literally normal today for doctors to prescribe gender-confused children drugs, surgery, and medical treatments as if it would ever be normal for doctors to prescribe anorexic girls gastric bypass surgery. How did we get here? Again, as a movement, we were too late. And I'd argue that even today we're not doing enough. But these parents who I've interviewed, they're warriors. They are bravely going on camera telling the truth about what's happening to the children so that hopefully Our children don't ever have to experience that. I want to read you a quote from one of the mothers, Jeanette Cooper. She's the mom from Chicago who lost custody of her daughter for insisting that her daughter is a girl. I see that my child is at sea in a boat. She is struggling. She is in tumultuous seas. I know that I have seen that, and what I have been told is to follow her lead to follow her in this journey. I am not willing to do that. I don't think that is good parenting. It is my responsibility not to hook my boat to hers. It is my responsibility to be a lighthouse, to be something stable that she can see, some guide that she has, that will always be there, that is consistent. That is my responsibility. I still do that today, even though I have no custody of her. I have no medical decision-making, no educational decision-making, and no way to communicate with her other than by mail. I don't have her phone number. I know where she lives, but I'm not allowed to go there. I know where she goes to school, and I'm not allowed there either. But this is parenting. What I'm doing, even though I have no real contact with her, I am still her parent. I am still her mother. And I am still parenting now. I'll close my remarks with this. As conservatives, we give a lot of attention to the idea of leftist policies encouraging Americans to hate their own country, as we rightly should. But with gender ideology, the reality is far worse than that. Leftist policies are encouraging children to distrust and hate their own parents. There is something gravely wrong about that. It is is perverse, destructive, and it needs to be stopped.